and I think it's a really a good idea if the municipality is going to be the one running the network, that they publicly bind themselves and make commitments to their customers about what they won't do so that their customers can have some comfort that in choosing Internet access from the government, they haven't given up um, the rights and protections that they have come to expect. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Corinne McSherry, Legal Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, joins Chris today for the podcast. EFF is best known for its work to preserve civil liberties in the digital age. Corinne and Chris discuss some of the unique challenges municipal network providers face, and she offers suggestions to help overcome some of those challenges. As an increasing number of communities invest in broadband infrastructure to improve local connectivity, organizations like EFF can offer guidance on these unfamiliar situations. You can learn more about EFF's work at their website, EFF.org. When you're finished listening to the podcast, please take a moment to go to ILSR.org or MuniNetworks.org and make a quick donation. We enjoy bringing you the podcast each week ad-free, but we can certainly use your support. Now here are Chris and Corinne. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm talking with Corinne McSherry, Legal Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. I think this is a, an interesting topic that is a little bit uh, off from what we normally do. Ordinarily, we talk with people that have built networks or are thinking about it, and, and now we're going to get a slightly different perspective. But I want to start by just asking, you know, for people who aren't familiar, what is EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation? Basically, an organization that's devoted to protecting your digital rights. And we do this in a variety of ways. Um, one of the principal ways that we do it is we have a team of lawyers, which is the team that I lead. And we um, go to court. We go to Congress. Um, we go to the FCC. We go a lot of lots of places where we see a threat to um, digital rights in one way or another. And we go there and we try to advocate for change. Or sometimes what we advocate is for not change, but just making sure that we keep the status quo. Sometimes we think about it as sort of making sure that the Constitution makes it intact um, into the the digital age. We also have a team of uh, tech projects folks who work on things like creating new tools so that you can encrypt your communications and protect them from the spying eyes of whomever. Um, and we also have a group of activists that work very hard on raising public awareness about a variety of, of uh, digital issues from privacy rights and, and the importance of protecting fair use and free speech online. Um, we talk sometimes a lot about net neutrality. We hit a lot of issues that are sort of related to the Internet. Basically, if it has to do with the Internet, we're worried about it. We're going to be talking about a number of legal issues and, and municipal networks, but, but first mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that, that you actually represented a dancing baby in court, and I'm just curious how that went. <laughs> yes, that has been one of the longest-running cases I've ever been involved in. And uh, essentially what happened is that my client um, is a mom, and she captured some video of her kids dancing in the kitchen, 30-second video, and she posted it online so that her mother, who lives across the country, could look at it easily. And um, she posted it on, on YouTube. And... Uh, it turns out that the music the kids were dancing to was um, Prince's Let's Go Crazy. 
that's what they liked at that, that time. And it turns out also that Prince does not like his music being posted online in any form in any way ever, even a 29-second video with him just sort of playing in the background on someone's CD player. And so as a result of that, um, Universal Music Group sent a notice demanding that the video be taken down. And there's, they have, there's provisions that allow them to do that, but there's also provisions that allow a person to hold the sender of such a, a threat accountable if they're making a threat against content that's actually what's called a fair use. So it didn't infringe anybody's rights. It didn't infringe Prince's rights or anyone else's rights. So basically, we've gone to court, and it's been kind of a long-running legal battle to make it very clear that you can't abuse copyright to take down content that is actually protected under the law. Well, I, I want to thank you for that. I'm, I'm a photographer. I make a part of my living doing a sports photographer for some local universities and that sort of thing. And I mm -hmm. believe strongly in copyright, but I, I believe very strongly in, uh, in a appropriate copyright as befits our, the Constitution and uh, society's greater needs. Yeah, that's exactly right. We try to say, we try to advocate for a balance. It is not that we don't think there should be copyright protections, but we just need to make sure that we have the balance right so that copyright protections is doing what it's supposed to do, but not getting in the way of new creativity and innovation and really just ordinary uses like a person posting a video of their kid. So let me ask you, EFF has been a supporter of municipal networks. How does municipal networks fit in and why is EFF interested in that model? Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a relatively recent development for us as an organization, um, and it's an offshoot of our net neutrality work. So we have been involved in the net neutrality issue for, for quite some time, but in particular over the last year, we started really focusing in on it um, much more actively and directly. And your listeners are probably familiar with our net neutrality debate, so I won't go completely into that, but the, the essence of the problem is you know, people need users need to make sure that they have access to good, high-quality, high-speed Internet. And net neutrality is a way of making is, – is a goal. And the FCC having net neutrality rules is a way to help ensure that. But we've always thought that that really wasn't the only solution to the problem and that, you know, we as an organization – we're not the kind of place that you know looks to Washington to to fix problems for us, and we don't think you know a lot of our users and a lot of our members are the kind of people that just want to leave it to the FCC or Congress or the other muckety mucks in, in in Washington to protect our internet. We think that you know a lot of people want to take matters into their own hands, and we wanted to help support that kind of activity as well. So what we started saying to a lot of folks is said, look, you know, if you care about net neutrality, net neutrality begins at home. And so we um, started looking at um, the municipal broadband issue, and people call it many things, community fiber. There's a lot of ways people talk about it, but we saw that there were all these exciting projects where people were sort of protecting internet access and taking it, you know, taking ownership of it for themselves via these um, municipal projects. And we think that's pretty exciting, again, because we think that we shouldn't leave it to the folks in Washington to make sure that we have good access to the internet. We want people to be able to sort of take ownership of that for themselves. And municipal networks was, was a way to help make that happen. 
Well, that's very similar to, to our point of view as well. We we love to see power locally. Um, we want to see decisions made locally. We like to see the the, the benefits of uh, of um, these economic activities staying locally in many cases, rather than spending a bunch of money on a bill that ultimately leaves the community. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of there's all kinds of benefits from municipal networks. But yep. um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we were able to to spend a lot of time on is is a couple of questions that have popped up from time to time, and and so I'm curious to get a straight answer on um, how when a municipality operates a fiber optic network and delivers services specifically uh, to residents and businesses. Um, I'm curious if there's a different expectation when it comes to freedom of speech protections uh, when it's a public owner of a network versus a private owner of a network? Sure. So that's actually a a very important question, and I think it's something that's still kind of evolving, um, frankly. But but there are a whole host of of, systems in place that govern when a service provider can, for example, reveal identifying information about its customers. Um, and that's sort of the, the, the simplest example. So, for example, the government, you know, knows that someone at XIP address is engaging in some kind of conduct that they're investigating. They might go to the IP, I'm sorry, the ISP, and say, "Hey, I need to know the, you know, the customer information that's associated with this address." Where um, a private entity might go, like say a, a copyright owner who thinks someone's engaging in infringement might want to go to the service provider and say, I need the information um, associated with this account because I think it's engaging in infringing activity and I want to pursue this person in a court of law. Um, there's a whole set of systems that are in place that um, allow some protections for the subscribers um, so that their information isn't just handed over willy-nilly. And we want those protections. Those are important privacy protections because you really you don't want to be in a situation where you feel like your ISP is spying on you or helping other people spy on you. It's kind of basic, right? right. This is this is what you'll often call the um, – I'm trying to remember. It's uh, it, 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 it makes people less inclined to participate in an open society, right? It's uh, That's right. That's right. It impedes what's called your freedom of association. So right. it's not just your freedom to speak freely, but the First Amendment also protects protects your ability to associate freely. And it also protects, by the way, your ability to communicate anonymously um, in many circumstances. Now, all of these protections you know, can be overcome in an appropriate place. So if you're doing something completely illegal, it's not like you can't be held accountable for it. Um, but we want to have protections in place to make sure that you know, the system isn't being abused. Um, and that so that people feel comfortable knowing that they can communicate, um, you know, without so basically anyone spying on them. So where it can get a little bit tricky is with municipal networks. So if your ISP is the government itself, um, some of those traditional protections get a little tricky, don't they? Because then you you're not sure what you can rely on, and so I think customers get a little might get a little uncomfortable, not being sure about what it is that their um, their ISP is and is not allowed to do because the, their ISP isn't um, you know an independent private entity, but rather the government itself. And so one of the things that we've done over the years is we've talked to um, some 
uh, municipalities that I probably shouldn't name names, but <laughs> we've talked to some municipalities and given them some advice about how they can help reassure their customers that they will protect their anonymity and that they you know, aren't going to be taking steps to spy on them. Um, and I think it's a really a good idea if a municipality is going to be the one running the network, that they publicly bind themselves and make commitments to their customers about what they won't do so that their customers can have some comfort that in choosing Internet access from the government, they haven't given up um, the rights and protections that they have come to expect. This, this must be something that, that has an analog. I, I sometimes think, you know, the, the local government also has a lot of health and human services records on me that maybe the police would want to get. And so I, I presume that just because the, some information is held by one part of local government doesn't necessarily make it all that easier. And in fact, in some cases, just in practice, I see that, that local divisions of government often hate each other more than they dislike anyone else. And so they may be more disinclined to cooperate in some cases. Well, you could have that kind of informal protection, right? <laughs> Where the agencies <laughs> right. That would be informal, don't right? play nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but the thing is that it, it is true, um, and I don't want to be a scaremonger or anything, but it is true that one of the things we've learned at the national level is that you know the the um, we don't totally know what the agencies are up to. Um, and and they're not completely transparent about what they're up to. And so that is something that is worrisome and why I think, you know, the key number one is, is transparency. So the government agency, whether it's big or small, government agencies need to be utterly clear about where they will and will not share information and what they're up to. So that so that you know customers have have the ability to vote with their wallets if they if they want to. I mean, the, well, if they can. <laughs> but you know, this is just what we know is that you know a number of the, the federal level, you know, the different government agencies were sharing information. Um, partly in the wake of 9/11, they were under a lot of pressure. Why didn't you share information more? Um, but that can be kind of worrisome if you think like, oh wait, so the NSA is collecting X kind of information, and then they're handing it over to the FBI, and then the FBI is using that information to do who knows what. Um, that makes a lot of us pretty nervous. And, you know, I don't think municipalities would have any such ill intent. Um, but subscribers, you know, are going to want to know that they're protected against. Right. Well, something that we've tried to be clear about is that we don't think there's any uh, one, so one sort of one solution in the sense that Sometimes mega corporations like an AT&T or a Comcast, it seems, are more inclined to cooperate with government when it comes to, you know, perhaps skipping a, around the side of the Constitution to collect data. Uh, mm -hmm. And in other cases, big corporations are, are less likely to cooperate and they have the legal staffs that can respond to overly broad requests. And so, you know, while in, in almost every case, I generally think smaller is better and community sized is better. But but we've been candid in admitting that that when it comes to, a, you know, a community, if they're being leaned on heavily, they may not have the resources of a, of a Google, for instance, to fight back. And it's a concern. Well, I will tell you, just in case there's any um, city representatives listening to this podcast, if you feel like you're getting under un un or unfair pressure, then um, you should call me and EFF will try to help.
Well, that's excellent. I'm I'm really glad to know that that people have that resource, and I hope that that's something that that they understand. I, I I'm sure that those who are already members of the American Public Power Association, you know, they have some ways of reaching out. But um, I also think that it, it varies from place to place, and I hope that those communities that are building networks will have thought about this ahead of time and have your number on speed dial. <laughs> there we go. Another thing to think about is that, you know, and we too are very supportive of different kinds of experiments with with community fiber and, and um, community broadband. And it may be that, you know, a choice might be made by a municipality that they're going to support the infrastructure building, but then they're going to let private companies lease it out um, you know, on non-discriminatory terms so that you can have competition and so on. And, you know, that the, the, the uh, municipality itself, right, the city doesn't want to be in the business of being your ISP. So, you know, there, it seems to me there are plenty of versions of, of um, community networks that don't necessarily raise the same problems. So I think we're talking about a situation when, say, a city is actually the ISP, right? They're the ones who are offering the service to subscribers. So they have subscribers, you know, direct customers, I suppose, um, directly, as opposed to when the city is just having a, a you know, private ISP um, do so. Is there anything else you wanted to share with us or maybe just reiterate before we end the show? Well, the only thing I guess I would stress once more is that I think that no matter what version of a, of a um, municipal network you've got, the best thing that you can do to protect your customers is, is to work very, very hard on being as transparent as possible about what your activities are and what your policies are going to be so that folks really know, you know what they're getting. And um, that will then empower your users to um, to take steps when they when they need to and you know and another just one last thing that that private ISPs do and certainly any ISP should do is whenever possible if for example you get a request for someone's information make sure that customer knows that that request is pending so that they have an opportunity to take steps to protect themselves if it's appropriate. Excellent. And I think transparency is is one of the reasons that we actually like municipal networks. So I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you in the call for as much transparency as possible. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Help spread the word about municipal networks by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thank you again to Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.